Hello, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with CEOs, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders recorded at CNBC's live events. Today, a conversation with Twilio founder and CEO Jeff Lawson. When his communication software company went public back in 2016, it had a private market value of a billion dollars. Four years later, Twilio has a market cap north of $40 billion. My colleague Julia Borston spoke to Lawson at CNBC's Disruptor 50 Summit, an event that celebrates the entrepreneurs and inventions that are disrupting the status quo and moving their respective industries into the future. Here's their conversation. What I think is so exciting about your story and your journey, Jeff, and I've interviewed you several times over the years, is that you started off this company by borrowing $10,000 from your dad. Not only did you succeed in growing it and scaling it and taking it public, but now you've been running this immensely successful public company. The stock, I believe, is up by about 2,000% since your IPO. So I want to start off by focusing on the transition in leadership and management you've had to make. Um, the, the challenge of an opportunity in being a founder and then figuring out how to also run a massive public company. What makes you well-suited to do the job you're doing now because you started off as the founder of this tiny entrepreneurial company? Well, thank you, Julia. It's a great question. And I think one that every founder, CEO who starts something and then grows it struggles with because your job as a CEO of a fast-growing company is constantly changing. And so really it's the um, uh, ability to observe the change that is needed of you as a leader, as well as the willingness to make those changes and to change the things that need to change, but to keep the things constant that are truly essentially who you are as a leader. And so what I always found that as we were growing Twilio, and we now are about 13 years into the journey of building this company, is give or take every 18 months or so, it seems like the what is required of me as a CEO shifts. And you kind of notice it because what worked a year ago or two years ago, as far as your leadership style, as far as how you lead the company, the mechanisms that you use to lead, they seem to stop working. You know, you'll say, oh, wow, I used to lead in this way. I used to hold uh, an all hands. I used to just verbalize things. Or I used to, you know, whatever the method is you're, you're thinking about, and it's just kind of stops working and, and people stop paying attention and following. And it's really frustrating. And it's very tempting as a leader to get like upset at the organization or to feel like, oh, you people aren't listening or whatever it is. But really, as a founder CEO, you always have to look inside and say, OK, well, everything that happens in this company is it's basically my responsibility. And so if the company is not responding in the same way that they used to, how am I going to adapt my leadership style and my leadership mechanisms to keep up with the changing needs of the company. And so it's the uh, observational ability to see that happening uh, and then to have the perspective to step back and say, okay, how am I going to change what I do? And then have the willingness to go in and rethink how you lead. And I think that's sort of the key to leaders keeping up with the needs of a rapidly scaling company. 
And so when that changes every 18 months, do you think it's because of the, the growth question, the, the fact that the company is just much bigger and as it grows, it needs different things from a leader? Or do you think it has something to do with being a public company or the nature of the customers you're serving? Um, for those in our audience who aren't familiar, Twilio is a software communications company and provides very valuable tools to companies ranging from Uber to telehealth companies to Airbnb. If you're communicating on one of these platforms, you are likely using Twilio software. So I'm wondering sort of what drives that transition every 18 months? Well, I think the main factor is the growth in the number of people you're leading, actually. So I think if you lead a company where the size of the company in terms of headcount is relatively stable, probably the way you approach your job will be able to also be somewhat stable. And you may tweak and tune and refine how you lead, but that's done more on your timeline and it's done more because you're learning and you're evolving and you're honing your skills as a leader. But when the organization itself is growing incredibly fast, basically that organization has different needs from you as a leader. So how you lead a 50-person company is different from how you'll lead a 500-person company, which is very different from how you'll lead a 5,000-person company. And so the company's growth in terms of headcount really drives your leadership style and your mechanics. Because when you're 50 people, you still know everybody on a first-name basis, and you still have face-to-face contact with probably most people in a given week. Obviously, with COVID, uh, maybe a a two-dimensional face-to-face. But you'll see the company. You'll have that FaceTime. But when you're a 5,000-person company, there's a lot of people who you've never even met. And so how do you lead a company with a very different style and a very different approach when you've got more layers of of leaders between yourself and and your frontline employees, as well as um, more opportunities for people to, A, take the ideas of the company and run with them and do amazing things, but also more opportunities for uh, the messages of the company to get diluted actually as they go throughout the company and the messages to get, um, you know, it's like the game of telephone where there's a lossiness every time the message traverses, maybe a layer of the organization. And so you have to figure out what is the level at which you fly and how do you lead and how do you think about the, um, the right time and place for thinking about maybe the five to 10 year mission of the company versus the next one to two years versus the this week. And I think that those different ways and different timescales where you think and communicate uh, just tend to change as the nature of your interactions with your employee base change. I was going to say, when we went public in 2016, the company was about 450 people. And today, in, in, you know, nearing the end of 2020, we are almost 4,500 people. And so we've grown almost 10x in the last four years as we've grown uh, the company, as we've seen a bigger opportunity, invested in our own growth. Our revenue growth has um, uh, more than 10x in that period of time. And so it's like, you know, you see the the change and the acceleration that the market is pulling you towards an opportunity. But then the question of, are you going to be able to seize that opportunity really does come down to, can you scale to meet the needs of customers? Can you scale to meet the size of the opportunity? And that's how I think about my job leading the company is, am I able to keep up with the needs of our customers and the opportunity and the the growth that is merited by the fact that customers need what it is that we do and, and a strong desire to serve that opportunity and to serve all those customers who are pulling you towards something big.
I want to go back to your early days as a founder. You were saying that some of your leadership characteristics, they have to change every 18 months, but there are certain immutable characteristics that you probably don't want to change. What are those characteristics that have been consistent throughout? And what is it about having been that founder, having had that engineer background that actually makes you better suited to lead the company now than if you were a professional CEO brought in um, post-IPO? Well, you know, I think founders often have a tendency to work from first principles because, in essence, you don't know anything else. You know, when you've worked your way through the ranks of a company or multiple companies through the course of, say, a 20 or 30 year career, you learn a lot of skills. You, you, you learn lessons from managers, from other leaders you have the opportunity to observe. Um, and you're very influenced in your leadership style by the people that uh, were essentially above you in the org chart for various points in your career. When you're a founder CEO, oftentimes you've had far fewer, if any, opportunities to learn from folks who do the job you now do. So you kind of have to make it up on the fly, which is pretty unique. Um, and so you, you start to ask yourself, okay, well, how am I going to do that? Well, one thing is, you're going to look to mentors. And I think um, great CEOs often have a variety of mentors that they talk to. You may also have a coach or someone like that. Those are great resources. But to make a bunch of hard decisions and to figure out how you're going to lead, you really start with principles that guide your actions. And so for me, you know, some of the principles that I'd say I've used through the year, uh, through the years is, you know, first of all, um, everyone says, you know, be yourself. And that's such a hard, it, it sounds good, um, but it's so hard to actually do that because, you know, there's certain parts of yourself that are natural and who you are and other parts that are the things you want to improve and actually change as you get better and get wiser and grow. Uh, but for me, I think being authentic, that's one of the key things that many founder CEOs have. You know, you're not playing a part. You're not cast into a role. You are who you are and you got to where you are because of who you are. And so capturing the essence of who you are and being authentic that is the superpower that many founder CEOs have. Because as founder CEOs, we don't have the same like career ladder, the same experience set, the same training ground that a professional CEO would have. And that can be daunting, that can be scary, that can lead you to imposter syndrome and say, why am I allowed to run this company? Um, but the flip side, what you do have, and is very unique as a founder CEO, is authenticity. You founded the company. You have the mandate to lead the company. And so the question is, are you going to pick it up and take that and run with it? Or are you going to question it? I understand that part of your personality is that you are a bit of an introvert. That is not a characteristic that's usually associated with leaders of thousands of employees. How does that play into your leadership style? And how have you figured out how to leverage that to your advantage? Well, one thing I'll point out, there's studies that I've read that introvert CEOs outperform extrovert CEOs in terms of uh, 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 shareholder performance. So, you know, I'll, I'll point that out and I'll cite the study somewhere. But um, what I would say is like, first of all, lean into it. It's okay. There are a lot of introvert um, CEOs, a lot of introverted leaders. What it essentially just means is that you, uh, uh, your human interactions, your interactions with other people take energy from you. And unlike an extrovert, where their human interactions actually give them energy. And so for me, I've just thought about it. It doesn't mean that I'm like bad at interfacing with humans or I don't like humans. It just means that doing so takes energy. And so I try to think about my calendar and how do I make sure that my calendar allows me to have the energy, to have the inter high quality interactions that I need. 
and make sure that I schedule maybe breaks in my calendar so that if I have a, a day where I have a tremendous amount of human interaction, well, maybe I'll just need some breaks in there. I also find that as an introvert, in particular, meeting new people takes a, a, a special amount of energy. So like when you're interviewing, an incredibly important job for any leader, uh, when you're interviewing, recognize that's going to take a bunch of energy. And what you don't want is to meet that great candidate at you know 5 p.m. on a day when you've interviewed five people already um, and have no energy left to actually show up and be the person, the leader you want to be in front of, say, a candidate who might be the perfect one. So just think about your calendar, pace yourself. The other thing I would say is at Twilio, we have a write it down culture. So we use the written word as the way to make decisions in the company. That means if we're going to make a big decision, uh, the, the, the group or the person who's in charge of essentially shepherding that decision through is going to write a white paper that describes what they think the right decision is for the circumstance. And what that allows you to do is have time to read. So instead of purely verbalizing it and purely having an, uh, a discussion or an argument, as often happens when you're trying to make a hard decision as a team, you start by writing it down. It gives you the ability to intellectualize, think about it. Then people on your team, whether it's you or other people who are actually better thinkers and like to think ahead of time as opposed to just debate and argue and all that kind of stuff, as you might think about is more common with extroverts. Uh, it gives a level playing field for the best ideas to come out when you write it down because that allows, um, uh, that allows everybody to actually do their best work. And so in short, I would say is there's mechanisms you can put in place to make sure that if you're an introvert, you still get your best workout and you still uh, are able to perform at your best while understanding the way that an introvert affects your personality and affects the way you interact with human beings. Uh, I want to make sure we get a chance to talk about what's been going on in the pandemic and how your business has grown um, in light of all of these changes to the way people are spending their time and money. But just a final question about the leadership. Um, uh, Reed Hoffman talks about the transition from being a pirate to being part of the Navy and the idea that as a company gets bigger, goes public, the leadership really needs to change the way they think about things from being sort of more rule breakers to rule makers. Have you thought about that as all, at all as you become a more important partner to a broader range of, of companies and organizations? I, yeah, I think yes and no. I mean, I think the first thing is, as a leader, you have to always live and exemplify the values that you want your company to take on. And so if that is a a pirate mentality, then maybe you will live that. If it is more of the Navy mentality, maybe you'll take on that. And by the way, that can change. Sometimes, you know, the organization needs more of the Navy mentality. Sometimes it might need a little more of the pirate mentality, but you essentially personify what you want your, your team to, to live. And so, you know, I think about that and I don't think it's all one or all the other. The second thing I'll say is that I think companies need a mix of both. And you can, again, you can play either role. You need the, you know, what you might call stabilizers, people who build support, build infrastructure, stabilize things, build processes and systems and, uh, you know, uh, uh, OKRs and all this kind of stuff, right? And then it also needs people who agitate that system from time to time, lest the system get too comfortable, lest it all come down to process and, and, and that. And so I think about it is, you know, my strength personally is a little more of the agitator. Like I'm a little more as a developer, I'm a little more oriented towards what's new, what can we create, what can we build? Um, but I recognize the need for both skills. And so I hire people, like per particularly like our CFO or our COO, who are really good at building processes and systematizing and being those Navy, uh, the Navy mentality folks. Um, and that allows me to play a little bit of the other role. Like I will agitate a little bit. 
Now you got to know the line. You got to know when to push, um, when to play that pirate role, uh, when to agitate for change as opposed to accepting maybe all the process stuff, but also respect the process stuff, respect the Navy, right? So you have to, it, you have to be able to hold both yeah. in your head at the same time and, uh, and appreciate the role of both. Hire people for your weaknesses, but then don't shy away necessarily from, so, from playing in your strengths. And oftentimes as a founder, CEO, probably you are a little more of that pirate. You are a little more of that agitator and don't be afraid <laughs> to leverage that when you feel like the organization needs it. Jeff, so much great advice there to entrepreneurs um, in terms of thinking about this constant reevaluation, figuring out the balance within the company and being willing to constantly tweak it. But I want to hear about what's happening right now in the pandemic, whether you're seeing a spike due to what you see as more of a temporary trend or whether the pandemic has really accelerated um, and, and pulled forward the roadmap of changes that you might have predicted years from now. Well, digital transformation has been a topic on the mind of like every executive at every company for give or take the last decade. And that was driven by competitive dynamics, right? In every industry, uh, there was the status quo. And like, you know, think about 20 years ago, companies were busy outsourcing their IT and saying developing software isn't a core competency. Um, but then along came the internet and mobile and all the Silicon Valley startups and all the digital disruptors of the world whose primary skill was building great software and actually using skills in the digital realm to go win in this new landscape, which is primarily a digital one, right? When the interface most companies now have with their customers is a digital one, whether it's a website, whether it's a mobile app, the company with the best software is going to win. And you can't just buy that. You know, if every company goes and buys a piece of software and off the shelf and plugs it in and every competitor in an industry has the exact same experience, well, guess what? Customers are going to yawn. They're not going to care until along comes some startup that says, we're going to build a better experience and we're going to listen to customers. And every sprint, we're going to build a better and better and better customer experience while those other people are just stagnating there with an off-the-shelf piece of software that you can tell who's going to win. And in fact, it used to be that the question was build versus buy. Now the question has become build versus die because there's Dar this Darwinian struggle going on in pretty much every industry where the builders are able to outpace and out-innovate the people who are essentially buyers of technology. Because Stripe is, is an example, right? A great example, right? You know, Twilio, Stripe, AWS, Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud. I mean, all these companies, what we're doing is we are the supply chain for companies as they turn to digital and as they become builders of software instead of just buyers. And so the building blocks that we provide to companies are the raw ingredients for every company who is building their future in software to be able to execute really well, to listen and, and build with agile methodologies and listen to customers and iterate, iterate and build. And so what's fascinating about COVID is that the notion of this digital transformation is not new. Competitive dynamics have been driving it for more than a decade, but COVID made those threats existential and immediate. And so 2020 has been the year of the great digital acceleration because companies have had to change and accelerate those roadmaps in order to meet the short-term challenges that, you know, societal shutdown and social distancing and uh, replacing all these face-to-face -face interactions with digital interactions all the challenges that have been posed. And so as every organization and every industry had to face the fact that, oh, our employees are gonna have to work from home, our customers aren't willing to come into a store or come into the doctor's office or whatever it is, they've had to innovate their way out of the problems that the pandemic handed every type of organization. And that's where the builders 
were really able to shine. They were able to say, okay, you know, think about agility. Agility is the ability to change direction quickly. And so what forces you to change direction more quickly than a global pandemic? And so the builders of the world saw the problems that were arising as the pandemic started and picked up their tools and started building. And that's why we were so proud to partner with the developers of the world and all the organizations they represent to help them navigate the challenges of COVID in order to accelerate their digital strategies to not just survive the pandemic, but then thrive in the coming decade where digital is going to be even more critical because of the acceleration that's happened in this year. And I think it's worth pointing out that Stripe, which you just mentioned, was number one on this past year's Disruptor 50 list. I want to make sure to squeeze in a question about telehealth. When we did these interviews five years ago, we always used Uber as the example um, of a type of company that would benefit from partnering with Twilio. But now what's remarkable is we've seen the huge growth of telehealth during the pandemic, um, a trend which many people expect to stick around. And Twilio has been a key part of that. Tell me about that partnership and where you see telehealth and your role in that going in the future? Well, you know, we've seen uh, acceleration across a lot of industries. Medicine is one of them, right? Telehealth, the idea that you see a doctor via video as opposed to going into the office is one that was um, uh, uh, accelerated massively by COVID. And so if you think about it, Early in COVID, it was like, well, let's let the doctors stay home. If they're able to, let's let the patients stay home. Let's keep everybody out of the hospital, except the, you know, the ER people, the people who have to be in the hospital. But now when you look at it, you're like, well, who, for a vast, you know, a number of medical visits that you might have, the actual telemedicine experience is superior to going to the doctor's office, um, even if it wasn't a pandemic. Because you think about it like, well, in the past, you're like, you think you need to see the doctor, you make an appointment, you have to make it for like three weeks from now, you have to take half a day off work to get in the car, drive across town, sit in the waiting room. When on video, you can make an appointment, it can often be like the next day because you don't have to be in a fit, like the doctor doesn't have to be physically near you. You can make an appointment the same day. And then it's like a 15 minute block in the middle of your schedule of your workday where you can uh, see the doctor and it only takes you 15 minutes. You're like, well, that's such a great experience. And so I think similar experiences across e-commerce, across learning, across a lot of different sectors have been accelerated out of necessity in COVID, but will actually be a permanent part of the experience we have in these industries going forward. You know, we did a survey back in the summer. We asked 2,500 enterprise decision makers, you know, has COVID accelerated your digital plans? And of course, 97% said yes. But here's the interesting part. We said, how much has it accelerated your plans? And on average, the leaders reported that COVID accelerated their digital roadmaps by six years, six years. And so what we're essentially seeing is the future much faster than we would have otherwise. But these changes, whether they're e-commerce acceleration, uh, telehealth acceleration, uh, distance learning acceleration, and many others, these changes are essentially shaping the future of how we're going to interact with many of these industries. And of course, we hope that we're going to go back to life as normal, uh, you know, when, when uh, the pandemic has subsided. But many of these changes are actually going to be here to stay because it turns out that when you can use digital technologies to have a software-powered experience for many of these touch points we have with businesses, whether it's healthcare, whether it's learning, whether it's commerce, these digitally mediated experiences are more convenient. They're better, they're faster, and they're going to be here to stay. That was Jeff Lawson, the founder and CEO of Twilio. He joined Julia Borston at CNBC's Disruptor 50 event on November 18th. 2020. 
The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. For more information about upcoming CNBC events and how you can join us, and we'd love that, visit cnbcevents.com. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening.